Welcome! You're listening to the Pastor's Class Podcast. Either you couldn't make it to class last weekend, or you're just wanting a refresher on what was taught. This is the place for you. You can also visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We really do hope this message blesses you and that you leave here with more knowledge of the Word of God in your heart. And again, thank you for listening. I've never really been afraid of public speaking, although I've not always been in a position where I did a bunch of it. Um, but if I go back and I think about it, my first kind of um, experience with public speaking was when I was in college and I took a public speaking course. And uh, in that course, um, you had the first thing that we had to do was give a speech on someone that was famous. <clears throat> and I chose Jimmy Valvano. Uh, does anybody remember Jimmy Valvano? It's a couple of people. This is going to mean very little to you then. Uh, Jimmy Valvano, who went by Jimmy V, was the head basketball coach at North Carolina State in the 80s. And in 1983, he and his Wolfpack team pulled off one of the greatest upsets in all of college basketball history when he took his 16th-ranked Wolfpack into the final game against the almighty uh, Houston Cougars. Exactly, and everybody, there's some that will be saying, Houston was ever a powerhouse in basketball? They were. Uh, they had two guys on the team. Exactly. It was, it, was, it was not even a thought. I mean, they had two former or future NBA, multiple NBA champions. They had two uh, future Hall of Famers. They had two players. Uh, Clyde the Dry Drexler and Akeem the Dream Olajuwon, who at one point later in life were voted to the top 50 team of all time in the NBA. So they were just, there was no chance that they were going to be beaten. So to, to, to allow a picture to be worth a thousand words, and I thought about that because of my son, William. Last night we're sitting at the table, and it's Spencer and it's William and I, and Spencer, or uh, Aaron's driving. Uh, some friends and our daughter Grace to camp in Waxahachie and I don't know I, I was trying to make this a learning lesson for William but it became a learning lesson for me which happens sometimes so uh, I don't know how we got on the subject but I'm like you know William what if you had to every week write a six-page paper and then stand up in front of everybody and tell them about it and tell them about the Bible and he said well that wouldn't really be that hard and I'm like Okay, well, you know, he said, and then he said, no, that's not that many words. And I said, well, it's really, it's about 2,000 words. And then William says, well, why didn't you just use two pictures? And Spencer and I are looking at each other thinking, was well, he talking about a picture on two different pages? And he gives the old drum roll. And he's like, no, a picture is worth 1,000 words. So you could have used two pictures. I thought that was pretty good, right? <laughs> I stopped with the lesson then, and we just moved on. So anyway, I've got a clip of that game. I was going to show it. So Jimmy V, the guy that was the coach that you saw running around, like trying to find somebody to hug, right? <clears throat> he's like, nobody's hugging me. Nobody's hugging me. Well, he's not only famous just for that running around after that victory and finding somebody to hug. He's also famous for his battle that he had with cancer. Because if you go about 10 years after that, he was diagnosed with a cancer and, and he battled through that for several years. And <clears throat> he actually was honored on ESPN. He was given an ESPY award and at that ESPY uh, award, he gave a speech himself, and uh, I've actually shown that speech here a long time ago in class because it's meant so much to me in my life, and I'll paraphrase some of it. You know, he gets up there, and uh, he speaks about a bunch of different things for a long time, and then he says that 
with every minute that I have left. And I, I just pause on that minute even for a second. You know, when, when you know, life comes at you and you're, you face something like that, it's amazing, right, isn't it, that now you measure life in minutes, in minutes. He said that every minute that I have left, I'm going to thank God for that day and I'm going to thank God for that moment. And then he says that if you see me sometime, just come up and smile and give me a hug because I probably need that also. Uh, and then he says, the time I have left, I'm going to fight as hard as I can, work as hard as I can for cancer, and I'm going to fight my brains out to be here next year to give this award. And obviously the crowd goes crazy and starts cheering and you know, then he starts back in his speech, and somewhere in this, you know, the guy up there is rolling the credits, saying, "Hey, your time is up." And Jimmy V kind of looks up and says, "This this guy up here telling me to telling me my time is up. Who does he think he is?" He said, "I'm going to keep talking," uh, and he does keep talking. And then he says, "He says cancer may take away all of my physical abilities, but it won't touch my mind, it won't touch my heart, and it won't touch my soul. Uh, those are going to go on forever." And then. Really what was probably the most impactful part of the entire speech to me is when he was talking about his foundation. He was talking about the motto for his foundation. And he said, the motto is, don't give up, don't give up, don't ever give up. And I'll tell you, in my life, uh, those words have meant a lot to me. The reason I've shown it, the reason I talk about it, the reason I chose that speech back then so many years ago is because it meant something to me. Just those words of don't give up, don't give up, don't ever give up. You know, there's so many quotes that I could pull about this. Um, the one that we've heard a lot is that success is not measured in failure, but in never giving up. Success is not measured in failure, but never giving up. And it applies to all of life, really, right? And in particular, the Christian life. And I really, truly also firmly believe that this ability to never give up is something that we learn. It's something that we learn over time. I'll tell you, I said it earlier, this was a really hard week for me. I was learning this week about not to give up. God was working on me in my life, teaching me something this very week about not giving up. And it was in my business world. But honestly, for me, I don't separate those two. I mean, everything about my life I view as a ministry. So my work and my church and this class, it all kind of blends together as a, a big spiritual battle sometimes. And you're fighting as hard as you can to not give up. And I take a lot of comfort in knowing that uh, I'm not the only one going through this. I mean, it's pretty normal. And if you look, and it's not the topic of our our text tonight, but if you look in, in the book of James, in the first chapter, what does it talk about? Where it says, count it all joy when you experience trial, because the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness is the word that they use. And if you looked at other translations, you'd see things like patience and perseverance and endurance. And I looked it up in terms of the Greek and the definition there, and it says the characteristic of someone that is, is unswerved in, in their purpose in life. Is unswerved in their purpose in life. Now, to me, that is really just code for don't give up. It's code for don't give up. And it's something that we learn. 
I mean, that's what that verse is all about. It's the trials, it's the testing of your faith in your life that builds this steadfastness, this never give up, don't give up attitude. And all of us have to go through that. Even the great Apostle Paul. You know, he, he wasn't great overnight. You know, we, we think about the conversion. He spent 10 years basically studying God's uh, teachings, trying to learn and understand. And here in Acts, we've got to see how the beginnings of his ministry, really, starting at the birth of the Gentile church in Antioch, and then now these missionary journeys, we're seeing Paul learn. So we've been in this kind of series within the series of the book of Acts. It says that the title of it is, We Are That Church, Lessons That We Can Learn From the Early Church. And our lesson tonight is, Don't Ever Give Up. And Paul, I think we see in this chapter, experiences that himself. So let's take a look. We're not going to go through every uh, verse, but we're going to start there in verse 1 and, and, and talk about how we can fight the fight and not give up. So here we go, verse 1 of chapter 18. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So remember, we're on his second missionary journey. And we started this back at the end of chapter 15. And you remember in 16, we talked about when he went to Philippi. We talked about the gospel conversations and where he came across the slave girl and the jailer and Lydia and the conversion of Lydia. And then they, he moves through Thessalonica. Talked about that a little bit last week, and then into Athens, and now into Corinth, where the church in Corinth, we've studied here in this class, the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and when he gets there, when Paul gets to Corinth, it says, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Most people think that this was because there was a Christian kind of uprising and that these two, uh, husband and wife, Aguila and Priscilla, were Christians. And they'd fled uh, Rome, and now they're in Corinth. And it says there that and Paul, he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So it's really pretty easy to see, isn't it, why Paul made a beeline to try to meet these two. They were Jews, they were Christians, they were tent makers, they were his peeps, right? They were people he would really get along with well. And, you know, these are two special people, by the way, Aguila and Priscilla. We could have, I could have taught a whole lesson just on them. I mean, they, they birthed the church in Corinth, and we'll see the birth in Ephesus out of their home. Uh, Paul later in Romans would refer to them as fellow workers, uh, we know later, and I'll talk about it, I'll give you a scripture that talks about how they stay there in Ephesus and help build that church. Um, so much I could talk about here. I saw one commentary that called them uh, gospel um, heroes, gospel heroes. And, you know, I think it's another reminder. We've seen this over and over again, starting when I was talking about the birth of the church in Antioch, about how God just uses normal, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So never, ever forget, just as a side note, that God can use tent makers to do amazing things. Here's a whole group of tent makers that just changed the world, that changed the world. So after Paul goes and he meets uh, Aguila and Priscilla, then in verse 4, he does what he always does when he enters the city. It says he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And then it says when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, uh, Paul was occupied with the word, I love that, was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. 
And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there. So just thinking about that, those few verses there. I mean, first thing that comes to mind to me is that it is very clear that Paul doesn't have a whole lot of patience with people that should know better. And I have to admit, if I'm being transparent, I sometimes feel that same way. You know, I, I often think about it when I'm just thinking about my own uh, personality. And, you know, I love serving people and I love helping people. But I will tell you where I generally get frustrated is when I'm trying to serve and help people that can help themselves or that should know better, but they just don't care or want to do it bad enough. And you get the feeling, right, that Paul has a little bit of this right here. He's kind of got a little bit of, okay, you should know better. You've been taught the law. You understand the scripture. You know prophecy, and yet you still refuse to believe. But the second thing that I think about when I read this is that Paul really, if you look at it here, he kind of gave up. I mean, he kind of really just threw in the towel. I mean, he really, if you think about it, he just got here. <laughs> I mean, it isn't like he's been going at this for 10 years. He was only on the second journey for two years. He stayed in Corinth another year, year and a half. We'll see in a few minutes. He'd only just got here, just started trying. And what does he say there? And he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. You know, it's very similar language to what we saw back in chapter 13. Remember when he was leaving the other Antioch in Pisidia, and he said that he was going to sh shake out, shake the, the dust off of his feet. Remember we talked about that, and, and that comes from all of the Gospels, or at least three of the Gospels, where Jesus had said the same thing. When you're going to town to town and shake off the dust off your feet, it was, it was something that generally was used by Jews when they were leaving a Gentile territory. Okay? But the whole context of that, really, is the judgment of God. It's not the judgment of man. It's not whether I'm passing judgment on them. It was intended always to be a symbolic of you're going to be under the judgment of God one day. I mean, we know Jesus, the Son of Man, the Bible says, didn't come even to judge, but to save. And the words, the exact words that Paul uses there, he shook out his garments, probably comes from Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, if you went back and studied chapter 5, you'll see that in that chapter, uh, Nehemiah sees that the people, the, the Jews there, are, are basically you know, hurting one another, lending money for high rates and, and, and not spreading food and, and selling people into slavery when they couldn't pay. And he basically goes to them and says that I, sh I shake the fold out of my garments the way God is going to shake you if you don't stop. And he's talking about that. But honestly, when I, when I read this, and I look at this, it doesn't feel like that Paul's really talking about the judgment of God. It really kind of feels like he's talking about his judgment. And he's just kind of given up. And part of the reason that I think that's the case is the rest of this. So let me just keep going there for a second. It says, and he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius, just as a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. I just love that. I mean, you don't think God's in control. He goes to say with somebody, and where is it at? Right next door to the synagogue. He just left where he was teaching. Right next door. And it says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, 
He says this, do not be afraid, but, I, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God. So what is, what is, what is God coming to him and saying, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you. He's basically saying, don't give up. Whatever you do, don't give up. Press in, fight on. I'm here, I'm with you. Don't give up. Press into this situation. Stay. Don't walk away. There's good things happening. My people are here. Press in. I actually think, you know, Paul uses so many of those words later in his ministry when he's, when he's writing and, and talks about, uh, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've, I've kept the faith or press on to the goal. That is the prize, the up, this upward calling in Christ. I mean, I think honestly, and remember, we're early in his ministry. I really believe that this was a turning point for Paul. I really believe that at this moment, something changed. Maybe these words, you know, you don't see, we're, we're getting deep into Acts here, and you don't see red letters much after this. And I'll tell you, the other thing you don't see, I looked, I studied and studied and studied. I could not find another instance in the New Testament, where these words were used. He shook out his garments or he shake the dust off your feet. Not another time. Not another time. After this time, not another time. It's almost like Paul learned, right? It's almost like he learned. This is not for me. I'm not to administer judgment. God expects me to be a faithful soldier. Never again is it used in this context. And I think Paul was just learning he was just growing. He was learning to do what Jimmy V said, to fight my brains out for people, to tell them about Jesus. He was learning. And, you know, I can, I can sense that, you know, he was learning well, right? Because God, after God gave him this pep talk and he stayed, people got saved. I mean, think about what happened there just in Corinth, the birth of the church and all the things that took place. And even, even this here, talking about uh, Crispus, the ruler, the ruler of the synagogue, accepting Christ. And, you know, I look at this and I think of it in terms of when he gave up, right? He gave up because he basically went to someone and was telling them about Christ and they, they rejected him. I mean, that happens to me all the time. I don't know about you, but it happens to me all the time. I, I talk to people about Christ and they don't get it. Maybe it's not their time. But honestly, I look at this and it also, to me, could just be representative of just about anything in our lives, Right? There's lots of ways to give up. It may be that you give up when someone rejects you or hurts you. Maybe somebody that you haven't forgiven. Maybe you've given up on some people. I pray about that a lot, whether there's people in my life that I've given up on. You know, or maybe, maybe you've just given up on life. <laughs> you know, maybe you've given up on God's plan for your life. Or maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. You know, there's all kinds of ways to give up. It happens, you know. It happens to the best of them. You just want to give up sometimes, right? And sometimes, honestly, you can give up by doing nothing. You can be so afraid, so filled with fear that you just do nothing. Sometimes doing nothing is, is giving up. You know, and I get it. I mean, I really do. Life is, is hard. And uh, sometimes... Man, things aren't going your way. 
and you get to feeling sorry for yourself and all of a sudden you just want to give up. But you know what I think is interesting? If you go back and think about James in chapter 1, the verse I was quoting earlier is that the, the very thing that makes you want to give up is what teaches you not to give up. I think about that. The very thing that makes you want to give up is those trials, it's those testing that you're going through is what teaches you not to give up. We all learn through that. And you know what the, the basis of it is? If you go back to that verse, it says what? It's the testing of our faith. It presumes faith because you can't do it without faith. I mean, that's why I love like the words of that song, that God of miracles, I, I choose to trust in you no matter what I see. It takes faith. It takes faith. Faith not to give up. It's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to do. It's something that we learn just through experience and through the testing of our faith and the growing of our faith. You know me well enough to know that I don't like to talk in terms of big faith because it's not about how big your faith is. I hear that sometimes people want to talk about how big your faith is. That's not, not what it's about because that makes it about you. That makes it about how good I am, how much faith I have. Let me just assure you, God can take any amount of humble, true faith and he can do incredible things. He can do incredible things. And, you know, like I said, you can see that Paul, he, he's learning this. and He's going back in. He's going back in to fight. He's going to stay here. He's going to keep ministering. He's going to keep preaching. You know, this is probably one of those lessons that, that you know, he just learned along the way. I mean, because he could have used this everywhere he went. I mean, he encountered this all the time. He all the time encountered people that didn't listen. I mean, my goodness, just finish out the New Testament and just see the, the, the pain that he went through. But there's a, there's a difference. I mean, I've studied every page of this, okay? There's a difference, okay, in the humility. And as he learns and as he grows, and even if you walk through Corinthians, there's even a change in there. You know, at first, you know, it's, it seems to be coming from his own abilities. And then later on, he says, you know, for me now, it's all about the cross of Christ. It's all about the gospel, He's learning. And, you know, the other thing, it could have been a side uh, lesson out of this that I thought was very interesting is when you look at Christmas, the ruler of the synagogue, and it says he believed. You know, the one thing that's very interesting there, too, isn't it, is that it doesn't ever talk about whether or not Paul ministered to him or shared the gospel with him or, or, or even really kind of come in contact with him. And you know what this reminded me of is that uh, another good lesson to remember is that people are always watching, People are always watching. I mean, I was just reading this over and over again, thinking to myself, did, did this guy believe because he was watching Paul and watching what he was doing every day? You know, I started thinking about that in my own life. I, I was on a call not too long ago, and, and, and I made a decision, and, and it was a tough decision, but I made the decision, and after it was over, I got a message from this person that said, Scott, I'm so glad you did that. It just it showed me your you know, your principles and who you are and what you're about. And I just thought to myself, wow, you know, there you go. Somebody's watching. <laughs> Somebody's watching. And I know one of the great things that I love about my life, while it definitely adds stress and pressure, is I know there's a lot of people watching. It doesn't help when Jared Stevens mentions my name in church, all right? <laughs> there's a lot of people watching. And I, you know what, I love that. I actually relish that. Because honestly, the way I view it is, it gives me an opportunity to share Christ's love in the way that I live my life. 
holds me accountable. I love the fact that I get to teach here and that my wife's in this class and my son's in this class and my other son's in this class and my daughter's in this class and Jade who works with me is in this class and I've got Karen that works with me in this class tonight. All of them get to hold me accountable for every word that comes out of my mouth. And they do. They do occasionally. I get, uh, Dad, remember what you said. And that's okay. I like that. Good lessons, though. Don't give up. Remember that people are watching. You know, I had like six other pages, by the way. And I cut them all out because I could have just kept going. And we could have talked about in verse 12 there in that whole section where God saves him when he's attacked. And, and, he, and he holds true to his word and, and he protects Paul. And then I could go down in verse 18 and it says, After this, they move on and he takes uh, Priscilla and Aguila with him. And they go to Ephesus and they, 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 they birth the church there in Ephesus. And they end the second journey and they begin the, se- the third journey. And then I could talk about Apollos, who we've talked about before. If you went over and you could study this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he comes on the scene and you could look there and starting in verses 24. And you can talk about how... He comes to this church in Ephesus, and he's full of the Spirit, but he just doesn't know anything. And then you see a little bit of husband and wife discipleship. They're both teaching him and, and, and ministering to him. Priscilla and Aguila, these gospel heroes, are, are there helping him learn and grow. And then I love that you go down there, and it says that, that he obviously matured because when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed and powerfully refuted Jews in public. You could talk about all of this, and we could have lesson after lesson about things that we could learn about faithful discipleship and about uh, how husband and wife could disciple together. Boy, do we need more of that. I mean, we're always needing people inside the church that could be disciples. One of the things that breaks my heart is that, you know, it's hard to find people to be disciple makers in our church. could talk about all of that, but... What I want you to leave tonight with is, is, is just this. This is, this is how I would characterize this entire first part of this chapter and, and really all the message I'm trying to get across. And that is just this, that life, life is a journey. And the Christian life, if you're a Christian, that's one and the same. So don't separate the two. It's a journey, and it can sometimes be challenging. It can be hard. Life can kick you in the rear sometimes and it can be difficult and you can be let down by people and you can encounter difficult disease and you know our brother John tonight is in the hospital uh, in ICU with an infection I mean life just comes at you and it can be hard and we we could talk about a lot of things that you could learn that would help you and we have in this class a bunch right you could talk about prayer you know, I love that we our prayer team is growing. I mean, it's, it's doubled. I, I feel like when the prayer team is growing, something's going to happen special in the class. But you could talk about prayer. We could talk about reading God's Word and understanding and studying God's Word. We could talk about relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, God inside of you. You know, I love to talk about that, right? We could talk about what that means uh, to surrender to God and let the power of God work inside of you. We could talk about a lot of those things, right? We could also talk about the fact that, you know, people are watching you. I think that's a good one to remember. And all of these things, I think, can help you through this journey in life. But right up there with any of them, honestly, in my opinion, is to learn not to ever give up.
just to stay in the game, to keep pressing on, fighting the fight. You know, if, like I said, you may be dealing with crazy things. It may be cancer, like Jimmy V. But you just got to fight. You got to keep going. Press into God, God's word, prayer, all of those things. But whatever you do, don't give up. You know, and there's lots of great quotes and lots of people out there that have talked about uh, don't give it, not to give up. And I love the one that uh, Winston Churchill gave whenever he was talking to uh, his school where he went to elementary school. And I think it was 1941, he gave this speech. And he stands up and he says, Never give in, never give in, never give in. No matter what, never give in. No matter if it's great or small or large or petty, never give in. Never, ever, ever, ever give in to the apparent overwhelming might of the enemy. Never give in. And the Bible really even says it better, right? The Bible says that never grow weary of doing good because it's just the right time you will reap if what? You don't give up. Even James in that chapter 1, what does he say? When steadfastness, when this ability to never give up is unswerved off of your deliberate intended purpose, what happens when it takes full effect? It says you'll be perfect and complete and lacking nothing, right? You can never give up. And I love this song. I'm telling you, I, had it, I played it probably a thousand times uh, this week. I was on planes everywhere, and I had it just on repeat in my head. And uh, just those words to, I'll trust in you no matter what I see. Let faith arise. Just to me, never give up. Never give up, no matter what. Press into Jesus and never, ever give up. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this day. God, thank you for this class and for each person here, Lord. I pray, God, that you'll give us this spirit of never give up. Lord, I pray that no matter what comes our way, the trials, the tests in life, Lord, that they will grow us and that, Lord, that through them, God, that we will have this spirit of steadfastness to learn never to give up, God, to press into you no matter what. Uh, Lord, we ask that you... Empower us with your spirit, Lord, to do great and mighty things. God, I pray that everybody in this room would just remember, God, that you can do amazing things with faithful tent makers. God bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.